Today's reading, as we uh, progress through our study of Psalms, is Psalm 13. The author David has found himself in some troubled times, and he's crying out to the Lord. He's, he's speaking to the Lord. So hear and, and pay attention to David's words. Oh, Lord, oh, oh, how long, oh, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David's words make us say thanks be to God. Well, it's great to be back with you. I was on vacation last week, the highlight of the trip. We, we just had kind of a relaxing vacation. We went to Erie, uh, which is where our families are from. And my, my parents are season ticket holders at the Erie Seawolves minor league baseball team. And we, we felt like we had to go up because Tuesday was the Cowboy Monkey Rodeo. Cowboy Monkey Rodeo. So what they would do is let a group of goats out into the outfield. And then they would let sheepdogs come running out onto the field to herd the goats back. And there were these little monkeys in cowboy outfits just hanging on to the, uh, to the sheepdogs. It was awesome. It was brilliant. I don't know who first thought of this idea, but somebody makes a living traveling around with dogs. And the monkeys don't steer, you understand. The sheepdogs know what to do. The monkeys just hang on. Uh, but uh, they, they did it a couple times during the game, and it was, it was brilliant. Uh, so, but it's great to be back with you, jumping back into the Psalms. Um, I had a really strong response to this Psalm series. A lot of people have commented on it, and, and uh, if you've been missing it, we've been posting it online. Uh, but I've been trying to urge everyone to spend more time in the Psalms and how important the Psalms has historically been. Um, for the church. And Rose Lawton actually uh, showed me this, lent me this so I could show you all. This is a uh, Psalter. It's a psalm from 1866. The Psalms of David in meter. Why was it in meter? So they could sing it because this is a lot of times what you would sing. Okay. Allowed by the authority of the General Assembly of the Kirk of Scotland. Kirk of Scotland uh, 1866. Now, why would you print a psalm? Because psalms were essential. When they got publishing, people thought we need, if we, if we can't get the whole Bible, we at least need a psalm. We need a psalter. Okay, it's a great example of how important the psalms have been traditionally in our church over the years. And I tried in my last sermon to orient you to the Psalms, to say what the Psalms are about. And I gave this category that, that Old Testament professor Walter Brueggemann says, that Psalms can generally be categorized into three different groups. And, and they're not exact, and Psalms kind of flow between them, but they're Psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. 
Psalms of orientation are optimistic and simple psalms for good times in our lives. Um, They say how simple life is, that God is good, the law is good, creation is good, everything's good. And sometimes we need to hear that, right? There are other psalms that are psalms of disorientation, psalms full of conflict and questions written by people in times of their lives when they're struggling. They include psalms of lament and grief and questioning God's faithfulness. And sometimes we need those psalms just to give us a mirror for what we're feeling and language so that we can talk to God about it. And there are psalms of reorientation, psalms of thanksgiving and praise after the struggle, where we speak about a new reality, a a dawn that comes after the storm. Now, again, not every psalm fits these categories, but it is kind of helpful to see the movement of the psalms and how the psalms speak into different areas of our lives, different seasons. And today I want to focus on psalms of disorientation, psalms sometimes called of dislocation. Have you ever been lost? You ever been disoriented? You ever tried to drive in Pittsburgh, right? <laughs> you don't know where you are, and all of a sudden you need to go there, but it's a one-way street, and suddenly you're going across a bridge and through a tunnel, and you're out in the country. You don't know what happened. <laughs> disoriented. You ever been disoriented? You ever had times in your life where your life just seems to flip upside down, and you can't quite get a grasp of things? Sometimes it's a good thing. Okay, if you've ever had a baby, okay, babies are great things and they're very disorienting, right? Okay, getting married is kind of disorienting and your whole life is sort of different because you're sharing it with this other person. Or what about a bad message from work, a diagnosis, something that, that causes your life to suddenly be flipped upside down? I've heard grief described as a fog, fog that sort of comes over you and you, you can't quite get your bearings and you don't quite know how to think. And I have witnessed that. Okay. I have been around people who are grieving and I'm talking to them and they can't even make decisions about what sandwich to order at lunch because they're just so overwhelmed. It's just a fog. I've been with, sat with families as they tell stories of their loved one. And then after the stories are over, they just sit and stare off into space. I've witnessed this fog, this disorientation. Author Paul Ricoeur calls them limit experiences. Those experiences that put you to the limit in your life and in your faith. You know, what's interesting. The Bible is full of those experiences. The Psalms are full of, of hymns and liturgies and poems for just those kinds of experiences. There are many of them. Psalm 13 is a good one, first of all, because it's short. Okay, six verses is a little one. We can deal with it and you can understand it. Most of the Psalms aren't that complicated. They're pretty simple. Many of them are short like this. This is a Psalm of David who understood disorientation. His life was attacked many times. He lived for years on the run from the king before him, Saul. He suffered the loss of a child. He, he survived the stress of ruling a nation. David understood disorientation. And he begins with the question, how long, O Lord, Lord, how long? I have witnessed in my years that humans have a great capacity to survive pain and trauma. I've seen people survive things that are amazing. I've seen people get through times that would push anyone to the brink. 
But I've also noticed that it's always better if it's expected instead of a surprise, right? If you get bad news and it's a total surprise, it's a shock. If you're ready for something, it's a little different. It seems to be better when it doesn't last a long time. How many of you have had things that would be survivable, but they lasted so long that it just wore you out? Okay? And I think it's better if there's an end in sight. Isn't stuff more difficult when you're going through it? And if you said, okay, next Tuesday, I can survive till next Tuesday. But if you say this could be months or years, ah, that's often the case. And so David, I think, names for us what is probably the hardest part of these seasons of disorientation, right? And that's timing. God, how long? How long? How long do I have to go through this? Does God forget us in those times? David wonders. Does God hide his face for us? Because it can feel like that. It's tough to see God in our stress, through our tears, and when we are disoriented. We, like David, get sorrow in our heart all day. Like it won't go away. It's just there. David speaks of enemies and foes. It can feel at times of dislocation, like the world is out to get us. You ever felt those moments where the world is out to get you? Sometimes it is. Sometimes there are people that are out to get you. Sometimes there's evil and malice being slung your way. Sometimes the pain is your own creation. Those are somehow worse, right? Because you know you did something stupid to get yourself into the predicament that's now causing you pain. And sometimes, and maybe these are the hardest times, are when it seems like it's just chance. Like it just came out of the blue and I can't blame anyone except maybe God. And so it's hard for us. We, we tend to judge our relationship with God based on what happens to us in the world. David does that. And it causes us a lot of questions. I must confess that I would be much more attractive to a doctrine like the doctrine of karma. You know karma? Where the world gives you what you deserve, where good stuff happens to good people, bad stuff happens to bad people. And I kind of wish for karma sometimes. But it's not a biblical idea, you see. Good people get bad stuff, and for some reason, bad people get good stuff, and life happens. But you know what David does when life happens? He brings the complaint before God. He says, God, where are you? My enemies are there. My foes are there. Where are you? And yet, listen again to the last two verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is very common even in psalms of disorientation, that they end with psalms of praise. And scholars say, well, look, what David must have done is he got through this situation and he went back and he wrote a good ending to the psalm. But I don't think so. I think David just decides to stubbornly praise God at the end of this anyway. He is praising God for a salvation and a bounty that have not come yet. And we sang it in our praise song today. My heart will choose to say, 
Lord, blessed be your name. The psalms lay out this constant choice, a consistent call, in fact, to praise God even when you are disoriented by life. Now, I don't know about you, but there was a part of my upbringing, not really from my parents, but from Sunday school teachers and other teachers and people I brought, came from in, uh, in my life, that said you shouldn't question God. How many of you ever got that lesson? You shouldn't question God. You shouldn't talk to God disrespectfully. You shouldn't. And yet I read a psalm like this, and there are many of them. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. That's, this is all it is. And I think... Where did we get the belief that you can't talk to God like this? When the Bible gives us so many examples. I think the Bible calls us when we are in pain and when we are in suffering to talk to God as brutally honest as we can. It may sound like blasphemy. And really honestly, most of these psalms you never learned as a kid. Okay? Most of these psalms you haven't really been taught. Most of these psalms did not turn into hymns. Right? In fact, we, the only praise song I really know that deals with this is Blessed Be Your Name. And one of the only hymns that really goes into this kind of difficulty is It Is Well With, Our, with My Soul, which we're going to sing later. We have, as a church, avoided these kind of conversations. We've avoided these kinds of psalms. We've avoided these kinds of hymns. And this has led to a situation where we have an expectation that life should always be good. And when it is bad, we think it's an anomaly. Like, how could God do this to us? What happened? And we as Christians are really bad in dark and troubling times. And we have terrible advice that we give each other. Let me give you some that most people think are biblical that are not. This too shall pass. You ever been told that? It's not in the Bible. Sorry. God does not give you more than you can handle. Listen, that's not in the Bible either. In fact, I could make a case in the Bible that God gives people more than they can handle all the time so that they have to rely on him. False. Everything happens for a reason. You ever get told that in a difficult time? First of all, that is not helpful. And number two, that is not biblical. If anything, things happen for a reason, and the reason is a sinful and broken world. Okay? What about this one? The sun will come out tomorrow. That's not the Bible. What is it? It's Annie. That's right. People quote that one all the time. It's Annie. It is not the Bible. We give ourselves light, peppy. But but actually, the Bible gives us a much better example of how to deal with these times. And that is to be brutally honest. How small do you think God is that he can't handle your questions? Okay? How small do you think God is that you can't yell at God? And God be like, oh, you were right. Oh, Jaden said that. I've never thought of it that way. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. How small is your God that you can't curse at him? That you can't yell at him? That you can't talk to him? You think God's blushing? You said a four-letter word. I think the God of the Bible calls for your honesty. He knows your heart anyway. There's something that draws you close to God when you can lay it all out on the line for him. Psalms of disorientation, like Psalm 13, are not just examples of raw and honest prayer. They're challenges. David says, I dare you to say everything to God. I dare you to lay it all out on the line, yell at God, shout at God, whatever you need to do, whatever you're feeling, vocalize that to God and see if God can handle it. 
In fact, I dare you in the questions, the doubts, and the fogs of life to decide to stubbornly believe even when you're mad. And when Jesus is on the cross, it's a horrible experience. In fact, the word excruciating literally means from the cross. The most disorienting moment of his life, and you know what he says from the cross? Lines from the Psalms. Before he dies, he says, into your hands I commit my spirit, a line from Psalm 31. He also says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That almost sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? But Jesus says it from the cross, and he's quoting from Psalm 22. In fact, both of these psalms, by the way, were hymns. They were sung. It'd be like Jesus saying, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. In fact, I often wonder if Jesus sang them from the cross. If that he gives us the first line in the text, but actually Jesus sang that psalm. And if you actually read Psalm 22, it's pretty amazing what Jesus is doing with a psalm of disorientation in the most disorienting moment of his life. Let me read a couple lines. I can't read the whole thing. You have to go do that later. But it says, verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me and make mouths at me, they wag their heads. Remember Jesus, uh, they're, they're yelling at him. They're taunting him. They're calling for him, his crucifixion. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and melting within my breast. On the cross, hanging from a cross for that long, your bones do come out of joint. And his heart would have been very weak. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like pots heard. And my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. Okay, the psalm says his mouth is dry. What else does Jesus say from the cross? I thirst. For dogs encompass me, and company of evildoers encircles me. Verse 16, listen to this. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Okay, Jesus is using a psalm that is perfectly describing what he's going through, written hundreds of years earlier, and he's trying to find comfort in it. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. We know Jesus doesn't have his bones broken. You were supposed to. To have, it, have someone die quicker, they would break your, your legs. But they didn't do that with Jesus. His bones were not broken. Verse 18, this one's crazy. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. We know that happened at the cross. And so Jesus goes to this psalm to find comfort, but also to describe what he's going through. And just like other psalms of disorientation, guess what happens at the end of the psalm? It turns to praise. Verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. So is Jesus being blasphemous on the cross? I don't think so. I think if you understand the psalm, and maybe he's saying this whole psalm, that he's singing a psalm where he feels like God has abandoned him and forsaken him. But if you read the whole psalm, he's saying, I only feel that way. That's not actually what has happened. And that's the move of psalms of disorientation. There's no wonder that Jesus turns to these in his hour of need. Maybe we should too. So the Psalms model a raw prayer 
for time, times of disorientation, and Jesus does too. But too often we have avoided these kind of psalms and these kind of thoughts. How many of you have been to a funeral where you were really sad on Saturday and you were expected by most people to generally be fine by Monday? We don't grieve, we don't get sad anymore, and I think we're missing something. How do you pray after 9-11? How do you pray after the grief that we have all felt? The Psalms tell us, you pray with honesty and with realism. This is even harder in the church where even this service might feel a little depressing to us. Like we're not used to talking about this stuff in church, right? This is not, it's kind of a downer, right? But I think we need it. Sometimes we need it. And most of our songs don't deal with it well, but there's one song that has been the church's rock for these kind of moments. It is Well by Horatio Spafford, and we're going to sing it here shortly. But the song means so much more if you understand the disorientation that Horatio Spafford was in when he wrote it. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer and a Presbyterian elder. Woohoo! Okay? In 1871, he was, in, he was living in Chicago and he had invested most of, his, most of his money in properties and there was a giant fire that burned down most of Chicago and he lost about all of his investment. Right about that time, he also lost his four-year-old son to scarlet fever. Having survived the fires, two years later, he and his family decided they were going to go on vacation in Europe. Get, some, get away and get some refreshment. At the last minute, Horatio Spafford could not go on the trip. He had to catch the next boat to take care of some business. So he sent his wife and his four young daughters ahead of him. On November 21st, 1873, the ship that they were on was struck by another ship and sank very, very quickly. Anna, his wife, was found knocked out floating on some debris but his four daughters were not. She made it to England, thankfully rescued. Telegraphed him from England saying, saved alone. Saved alone. So Horatio had to get on a boat, headed to England to meet up with his wife so that they could mourn the loss of their daughters. And somewhere on that trip, somewhere probably around where his daughters had drowned, he paused to pen the words, most of the words as we have them today, to it as well. And so when we sing this hymn, and the hymn says, let sorrows like sea billows roll, you understand the meaning of that. You understand him writing those words, looking out on the water where he had lost his daughters, that, that his sorrows were like those sea billows. And you think of that kind of disorientation. He had been handed a terrible lot. And yet he chose to say, because God had taught him, it is well with my soul. And I bet it wasn't, by the way. I bet it wasn't well with his soul. And he continued to have a life full of challenges and full of grief. He was not a perfect man by any means. But he chose to say, it is well with my soul. So when we sing this, sing it for all that it really means. And in all of the difficulty. Now yesterday as I was 
finish in preparing this, I, I was struck by the fact that I am really aware that for a lot of people in this room, uh, there are times of disorientation right now that people are going through. And uh, so I wanted to do something during this last hymn just, just to be with those people in particular. Um, I, I don't know if you have done this or not, but one of the traditions of the Christian faith and the Jewish faith is to do anointing with oil. Uh, there's nothing magic about oil. This is oil I bought in a store. Um, it does have olive. Um, it's oil from an olive tree. Uh, it does have a little bit of a sweet smell to it. And if you can't use that, I will just bless you anyway. But in the Bible, people don't really have a lot of medicine. They don't really have a lot of triple antibiotic ointment and Vaseline and stuff. So if, if you live in the desert, and you get cracked elbows and cracked hands. I mean, think about you in the summer, okay? You get wounds that need to stay wet, that can't dry up. What do you use? Oil. So oil became a sign of healing and of cleansing. And oil was also used if you were to become a prophet, you were to become a priest, you were to become a king, oil would be poured on you as a sign of God's presence in your life in a special way, as a reminder that God is with you. And so the church has anointed with oil at different times. And so today, as we sing this great hymn, It Is Well, uh, I'm going to invite anybody who wants, I'm going to be down here. If anybody wants to come forward, I'm just going to gently anoint your forehead with oil as kind of a mark of the cross, a little bit of a reminder of your baptism. And uh, just say a quick word of blessing as a sign. If you're going through a time of disorientation in your life, or someone you know is, or somebody in your family is, you can come down front and I will just anoint you briefly. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. Shouldn't take, shouldn't take too long. Uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be quick. We're going to sing It Is Well With My Soul. And then if we need a little more time, Maureen is just going to continue playing um, uh, before we do the benediction and we all uh, leave. So let's stand together if you're able. And sing with a different kind of insight this hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. I'm going to stand down here. If anybody wants to be anointed with oil, you can come forward.